The following podcast contains explicit language. Picture this. There's a stage in the middle of a men's clothing store off Fifth Avenue in New York City. The clothes look incredible. So do our listeners. The listeners are seated in an audience, but also along a back staircase, even watching from an overlook on the second floor. There's an open bar, little appetizers on trays, and hanging from the lights are letters W-O-W. Behind the stage, there's a big television screen that's hooked up to my cell phone displaying my actual Tinder profile. This is going to be the first of three live episodes taped inside of Bonobo's Guide Shops. And for this first show, I'm about to perform a monologue about the rules of dating. This is YOY. I'm Andrea Salenzi, and yes, this is my Tinder profile. You know, the only city that I've ever fallen in love in is New York City. And I wonder if that's because I learned so much about love from my grandma, Phyllis. She's always lived here. And I've been thinking about our family history, who's loved whom and how that falls in a long chain down to me. So I signed up for one of those ancestry websites. I sent in my DNA. And I went as far back as we possibly could. And <laughs> believe it or not, I did find my oldest ancestor. Her name was Andrea Erectus. <laughs> Andrea Erectus was a badass Neanderthal lady. She talked all the time. But the anatomy of her vocal tract meant that she had a hard time making vowels, so it was mostly grunting. And maybe that's why she was having a hard time finding a boyfriend. All of her friends were pairing off. They were bringing home guys who loved cave art, guys who were ready to domesticate a wolf puppy. They were all moving out of the Neander Valley and building a hut, starting a family. And back then, at the dawn of humanity, my Neanderthal ancestor wasn't sure she was ready to select her mate. The truth was, no one had ever felt right. Her mom wanted her to date this Neander dude who pounded his own chest the loudest and could lift the biggest rocks. But then she found out he voted differently than her in the last election for <laughs> tribal leader. And that was a deal breaker. Her brother tried setting her up with this guy who was really good at swinging from trees. But she just couldn't keep up with him. All the swinging made her feel a little queasy. And her friends kept suggesting she pair off with the guy who could eat the most fermented fruit. And that was just insulting. Fermented fruit is for the weekends, not every day, and it can get in the way of your pottery making. Back then, Andrea Erectus felt a lot like the pottery she was working on. She was in the early stages still. She was soft and malleable. How could she pick a matching piece until she knew what form she'd take? And she knew it was worth holding out to find someone who spoke as much as she did, someone she could talk to about the stars, the weather, edible plants, Someone who could make his own tools with upright posture, less back hair. And that's how my oldest known relative became the first Neanderthal woman to break all the rules of dating. She was almost 16 and wasn't ready to pick a mate. So I have a theory. And this is it. It's that as long as there have been people there have been rules for how we pair off. And in 2017, these rules are changing rapidly. 
I often find myself wondering if I would have done a better job at finding a partner if I could have dated in the good old days. And when I think about the good old days, I like to call my grandma Phyllis. How can I help you? She's usually like a little too game to help me with this stuff. If my true answer is too boring, I'll lie like hell. <laughs> and she has this amazing ability to both embarrass me and steal the show. My number one grandchild to be so beautiful and so smart and so talented, so like her grandmother. <laughs> Phyllis grew up in a Jewish family in East New York, Brooklyn. And back then, it was popular for families to schlep out to Far Rockaway for the summer and rent a bungalow. She'd spend her blistering days back then biking around streets without cars. Cars were still pretty rare in the 1930s, and she would lust after the Italian icemen. They'd stand along the boardwalk at Rockaway Playland, where they'd shave ice for you, drizzle on some lemon juice and sugar. And then one day when she was nine, she was flying a kite alone in an empty parking lot, and she met this awkward kid with red, curly hair. Everyone called him Woozy. He was my good friend, even though I hated that nickname. And they stayed friends through high school. He and I would go out, and whatever we did, in the summertime we were in Rockaway, walking the boardwalk, and I would talk about what I was looking for in a husband, and he would talk about what he was looking for in a girl. But he wasn't it, and I wasn't it. But we were good friends. Back then, there were clear rules for dating in Rockaway, it meant walking to the movies in town and then going to the ice cream parlor next door, where not only would you have your ice cream sundae or soda, but you would be seen by every other kid of importance. Now compare that to today. My dating life happens in private. I'll hide my phone if I'm swiping on an elevator. A friend recently showed me the folder on his phone where he keeps all of his dating apps, and instead of naming it, he just used the toilet emoji. <laughs> I suggest first state bars that are far enough from my office that no one's ever going to see me on a date. And it seems completely reasonable to sleep with someone before even following them on social media. After the war in 1947, Phyllis left to go to college in Syracuse, New York, where she was studying to become a teacher of the deaf. There was so much snow up there that women were even allowed to wear pants. And that's when her dating life really began. When I was in college in 1947, I remember meeting guys and they would ask for a date. Right to your face. Ask for a date. There was even a standard go-to date back then. You went out to dinner. And dancing. You were dressed up. Women in our family aren't very tall, so... You wore high heels and a dress. But Grandma, will he commit? And if a guy took you out a couple of times, you, you were considered like going steady. What? Should the jitterbug really be the criteria here? Are your love languages compatible? Grandma, what's his credit score? And going steady meant that you were going to get engaged and then married <laughs> really soon. When she graduated from Syracuse with a master's degree, by the way, it was 1952. While my runway for picking a long-term partner feels endless, hers ended the moment she wanted a sex life. So you get married. None of this living together nonsense. 
If dating is a board game, my grandma's board was smaller than mine, with clearer labels. You buy a pair of heels, you go dancing, and you get married. Today's board game doesn't come with instructions, so the only way I'm able to learn is by watching other people play. So with the disclaimer that I am very aware of what a small sliver of lives and backgrounds I'm about to describe, how wildly I'm generalizing, I present now my incredibly subjective rules for dating in 2017. You guys ready? I figured out the rules. They are here. I finally, you've been asking me, I found all the answers. Here we go. First, you meet someone for coffee or a cocktail. If you like each other, you do it again, add kissing. Eventually, you level up to a Friday night dinner date. First time sex, then heck, let's just hang out all weekend sex. You text more often with more typos. You meet each other's friends. You get drunk enough to finally confess to feelings. <laughs> you bike to Rockaway Beach for tacos. You use your Groupon to Spa Castle. You take a trip to Dia Beacon, then Storm King. You rent an Airbnb upstate. You go home together for Thanksgiving, office holiday parties. You plan a trip someplace warm, probably Tulum. You say, I love you, and you really, really mean it. One of you runs into an ex on a subway platform and wonders if he's getting on the right train. You embrace Netflix and chill. You rent an apartment together, maybe a little sooner than you planned because rent. You narrowly survive Ikea. Get a pet, get engaged, get married, get a baby, buy an apartment in Brooklyn or a house in New Jersey. Your dog dies. One of you gets really into running marathons. <laughs> Exciting new sex in your 40s, the kids leave for good. Exciting new sex in your 50s, all your parents die. You work until you want to stop working. You read all those books you meant to get to. And then you die together, holding hands. <laughs> now what no one tells you is that as you move down this board game, at any moment your dice can roll in a way that throws you back to the cocktails and coffee square. That's where I am. Or you draw a card that says, he's going through a personal crisis and doesn't know how to involve you. Go back three squares. <laughs> I'm told everyone gets this one card and it says, marriage is harder than you thought it would be. And some of the cards are very specific, like the, her mom's moving in. Do not collect interesting new sex in your 40s card. <laughs> Sometimes, usually around the holidays, I find myself wishing I could play on my grandma's vintage game board, the one from the 1940s. It seems easier. Now back to my grandma. When she returned to college, Wizzy would take her out on dates, but it never felt romantic. Oh no, he never made a move. Seriously. At the end of an evening, he would kiss me goodnight on the cheek. And if I went out with other guys, they were like octopuses. Octopi? What's the plural? It's octopi. They were touching my nana like octopi. <laughs> All right. The other guys, you really had to fend off. And I said to him, you know, it's really ridiculous. You and I have everything going for us, but you ain't got no sex appeal. Was he knew his next move? And it was like I had released him from jail. After that, my God, I couldn't keep that man's hands off me. That's my grandpa. <laughs> One night, I was stretched out on the banquette in the kitchen, and I said to my mother, I said, I think I'm going to get married. 
And she said, that's nice, dear. Who are you going to marry? I said, I think I'll marry Woozy. She said, you don't want to marry him. You keep telling me he's such a nice guy and such a good friend, but that was all. And I said, yeah, I think I'm going to get married. She surprised everyone and no one by marrying her best friend, who she started calling Gilbert. And just recently I was thinking about it, and I don't recall that he ever proposed marriage to me. <laughs> I think it was just understood. The rules were that clear. I never learned that my grandpa Gil used to be called Wizzy until the day he died. I was nine then, and I was ready to meet my husband in the same way my grandma did. I'd follow around all the boys on the cul-de-sac, enthusiastically singing the lyrics to 1980s anthems, letting them know that if they're lost, they can look. And they will find me, <laughs> time after time. In the weeks after Wizzy's funeral, my grandma was shopping in a Marshalls, and she found a bin full of stuffed bears wearing sports jerseys. They all said Wizzy. She filled her shopping cart, bought every single one of them. Oh, I did like and love that man. Because he knew me when I was a little girl. I met him when I was nine. And I don't know why, but he loved me all those years. And I never thought I was such a lovable person. Even though there are tens of thousands of years between Andrea Rectus and my grandma Phyllis, the rules for both of their dating lives meant that they had to pick someone while they were young before fully knowing themselves. When Phyllis remembers getting married at 22, she'll say, I wasn't me then. I grew into me with him. And that's where I feel like the biggest shift in the rules of dating has happened. My future partner will only know me as I am today. And I know myself pretty well now. If I'd been asked to marry someone when I was between the ages of 16 and 22, I probably wouldn't have picked Wizzy. Maybe this podcast would be hosted by the proud wife of Chad. <laughs> Chad who loved Daft Punk. With the blue hair. Chad who I met on Friendster. When she turned 16, Andrea Rectus was finally ready to meet her match. And together, they discovered that round boulders are easier to move than the square ones. They taught their kids how to speak and their grandkids how to love. And maybe human beings wouldn't be here if we didn't follow the most important rule of dating. Don't settle. Whatever you can do, do not settle. And that rule has a direct link to evolution, right? Natural selection. Because if we settled, there'd be lots of little chads out there, and they'd still be swinging from trees. So dating in New York was a theme of the night. And I know, New York gets all the modern dating stories. We have sex in the city. Then I realized no one had told her about the end of love in Manhattan. And girls. I have work, and then I have a dinner thing, and then I am busy trying to become who I am. And now Master of None on Netflix. Is that what most guys say? Just, hey, 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 hi, hi, hey, hey, hi, hey, hi. Yes. But soon we're taking the show to Chicago and L.A., and I'm going to be telling you stories about dating in those towns. But for this special bonus episode, please indulge us as we talk about dating in New York. New York, the city where more than half of all households are unmarried, 
that's almost double the national average. And according to Deutsche Bank, we are the most expensive city in America to date in. They said the average date costs $133. And according to the dating service Plenty of Fish, women here are 32% less romantic than the national average. Carrie Bradshaw knows what we're talking about. Self-protection and closing the deal are paramount. Cupid has flown the co-op. And now let's get back to the show. So now I want to welcome up to stage two incredible comedy talents who both happen to be in love with each other. Coming up, Naomi Aparigan. She is a stand-up comedian and a writer who has written for Broad City, Difficult People. And we also have her Jubu slash cat dad, Andy Beckerman. <laughs> he hosts two great podcasts. Hello, multi-culty millennials. How are you? Will you guys help me find a, a volunteer? Who has a, a, t- a phone with Tinder on it? <laughs> or another dating app that you love and you want us to help solve your dating life right now? Oh, there's someone who's resistant. That's good. That's what we were looking for. Yeah? Who's resistant? Like, do you not Coming want up. me to call you? But you were hesitant, and I think, thank you yeah, thank for your you. bravery. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what's your name? Cassie. 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 Okay. Hey, Cassie. This Hi, Cassie. is you. Cassie, 26. So we plugged in Cassie's phone to the screen behind me, and we took a peek at her profile. There wasn't a bio, so Naomi and Andy got to work helping her write one. Okay. Now, who was the last person you dated, and why did it end? He will remain nameless. Yes, you but... can yeah. No, no. Full name. <laughs> Social security number, everything. <laughs> It starts with Jew and it ends with Lian. So Perfect. Julian. At first I thought it was Yeah, I, I really <laughs> thought you were I thought, I thought you were religion. getting a little anti-Semitic for a second. <laughs> um he didn't want to commit, so dropped him. Commit. Okay, okay. What are you into, Cassie? Like in men or in just life. in hobbies? Travel. Travel. What do you like to do on your weekends? Like, if you can't, you know, when you're not traveling the world, like, what's a good chill? What are we doing to relax, unwind, just kick it? Show us you with your hair down. I would say hanging out with this woman next to me. She knows me better than I know myself. Hey, tell she me what she's about. Me. Show me what she's like after yeah, a few Yeah, dreams. you tell us. Oh. Um, she likes bike riding. <laughs> um, Exploring all of the things that New York has to offer. Yeah, going to beer gardens, doing like wine tasting classes. Right, Right. I like to experience things via alcohol. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes, 100%. (laughs) We're like a reality show contestant. I'm not here to make friends. That's perfect. We're going to let them know that you're here for the real thing. All right. Yes. Um, Omarosa of Tinder. Right. Oh my God. You want me to put hashtag white Omarosa? Yeah. (laughs) I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Like, we'll just like see who comes into your life as a result of what we've done. (laughs) It's like, who knows, you know? Um, Omarose. guys turned on me in an instant. I just want to point that no, out. They are not true. here for you if you try to play with Omarosa. Okay? So we finished writing the bio, and this is what it said. I like planes and boats. Nature and food are my passions. Like a reality show contestant, I'm not here to make friends. Hashtag white Omarosa. I like to experience things in the city via alcohol when possible. 
And now that her profile was completely perfect and there was nothing left to change, it was time to start swiping. Coupled people love to swipe on other people's phones, right? Oh, yeah. Ooh, this is my favorite. Andy loves to read a bitch on Tinder. <laughs> to filth. It's his favorite activity. He will swipe and tell you about yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay, so who wants to drive? Do you guys want to drive? Should I drive? I'm going to present this now like an adorable montage sequence. Oh, I like, though, he's kind of sassy. Not into games. I already have a PlayStation 4. It's like, oh. It says Columbia Business School. No, no, no. <laughs> You know what I don't like? Entrepreneur. An emoji. Yes. It's too, it's like very vague. Oh my God, it's a fireman! Luke is a fire, Luke is a fireman. He's a volunteer fireman. Okay, he's very active, but he's really serving me bro realness. And like, Cassie, are you into a basic bitch? (laughs) The next guy's job title was talent agent. No, he's an agent, right? Ask him if he wants to represent her heart. (laughs) Andy, your game is weak. You've been off the streets too long. (laughs) So while we were flipping through matches, I did something I've always wanted to do with my own Tinder profile. In Tinder, there's usually this long row of people who you've matched with weeks or months ago, but then they never bothered to message you and you never bothered to message them. And they're just sitting there waiting for someone to make the first move. So I picked one of the cute guys from the list and sent him this message. I said, I miss us. No, no, Andrea! No! What? What are you Andrea! doing? Andrea just wrote, I need the listener. Get the no. phone from her. Get the phone Give from her. Give me the phone. Her. Give me the phone. Okay. No. Until you can do this responsibly. Okay, for the listeners at home, Andrea just thought to write a man whose picture was him in front of two friends on the couch in a laptop. In laptop. And said, I miss us. And Andrea, you want her to find the love of her life, not a person who's going to steal her identity. Okay? We need to get her love. So we're still swiping, and this rare gem of a guy shows up. He's in a suit. He's 25 years old. He's a professional food and beverage manager. His bio says he's from Paris, living in New York City. So we swipe right and then... We got a match. Cassie got a match. He's only a mile away. This is our chance to invite him. No, this is definitely... Okay, literally, literally. Okay, 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 okay. Wait, wait, guys. Let's invite him to the show. We have to use the profile to lure him in. This is weird, but I'm at a Bonobo store. Hey, I'm at a (laughs) Bonobo... Yes, do you want me to pick you up a shirt? (laughs) That's like fun and funky, you know? Want me to pick you up a shirt or an appetizer? Parenthesis, they're serving appetizers. End parenthesis. Yeah, or an app question mark, and then in parentheses, they're serving apps. Send it, send it. Let's do this. So stay tuned to the end of this episode to find out if he ever wrote back and what he said. Thank you for your bravery, Cassie. Your patience, kindness, and bravery. And now it's time for me to sit down and interview Andy and Naomi. Long-time listeners of this show know that I don't usually like a love story on this podcast. It makes me feel left out. But for them, it's different. I wanted to hear everything. So, guys, uh, how'd you meet? How'd you get so lucky? <laughs> We're looking at each other. As I know. Well, I feel like it's, it's going to be... Andy and I met at the UCB Theater. 
Which we I were, think is where you meet very sweet Jewish boys. Or on the spectrum, white men. <laughs> you were you were you were definitely awkward in those days. Sure. But you're sweet. We were on we were put on a team um, There was a, a, a show called The Lottery where they just randomly pick students to perform in a show with some of their house team members. And we, we were, were the students. Yeah. yeah, we were random students and that and we were put together and so we met there and it wasn't, you know, there were no like it wasn't like, ooh, who's that? It was just more like, oh, cool, we're doing the same thing. And then after that, we just started to see each other out. But I thought show. you were so funny in the show. Oh, my God, I was so good. So, That yeah. was, like, good. But, like, seriously, no, it was, like, I say that as a joke, but it's also, like, it was lucky. It was, like, he caught me at this moment where I was, like, feeling myself, you know? <laughs> so I made a mental note in my head. Yeah. Would he have had a shot if he wasn't also funny? No. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I went through my phase of liking guys who weren't funny. I, seriously, no. Well, because it was the thing of like, oh, I want someone who's not make it, like trying to make jokes if that's when I'm around all the time. Then you're the flower, he's the gardener. That's what I thought, but no. Then he's just, what animal you're just... You're the flower, they're the shears. Exactly. That's what would end up happening. They were like, why are you joking so much? And I was like, oh, you're humorless. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. <laughs> Just look pretty on my arm. <laughs> oh, then the Andy asked you out to a milkshake. Yes. Why a milkshake? All right. Here's the deal. Here's the deal, which is uh, I thought I was, uh, I was doing what the kids at the time did, which is like you just ask someone to hang out. You, you don't specifically ask for a date. Right. That's what right. I thought. Right. So I was just like, hey, let's go get a milkshake. Milkshake because I don't like to drink. And so I'm like, I'm gonna let's let's start on my own terms, rather than like let's go get a drink, right? And then I have to pretend like I care about alcohol. Can I just take people out to eat jelly beans? That's really <laughs> all I'm looking for. He when he told me he's like, yeah, I don't drink alcohol, I don't like the taste. And I was like, how do you feel pretty? Like I don't understand, you know? <laughs> but uh, it ended up making oh, for... it's an intense, an intense procedure for staring <laughs> in the mirror and being like, you're okay, you're okay. <laughs> but I didn't think a milkshake was a date. Right, because the rules of dating tell us it's coffee or a cocktail. Exactly. Also, we're missing the key part of this. This inquiry was asked via Facebook message. Wow. I did not think that was a day. I did not think that was a day. Okay? What, a Facebook message asking you to get a milkshake, not a romantic (laughs) overture? Like, I thought he just wanted to be friends, which was nice. I mean, obviously, too. So I was like, oh, that's nice. Somebody wants to hang, but... I definitely didn't think it was a romantic thing. You're a professional comedian, so you found yourselves at an improv show together, which you describe as working. She grabbed your hand. <laughs> oh, right. Well, okay, so the, first, so the milkshake thing just didn't happen, and we ended up, I didn't want to take her to UCB, because I'm like, well, that, that does feel like work if we just go see a comedy show. But somehow we ended up there, <laughs> and then we were sitting in the front row, and you held my hand, and I'm like, oh, okay. We, it was one of those things where like, you don't know if it is a date or not, right? right? And then she held my hand, I'm like, oh, great, this is a date. It was not. <laughs> it was not a date. Well, the tricky thing is, I am an affectionate person, and Andy's a sweet boy, and it was something where, like, I put my hand there, and then his hands were very cold. He has poor circulation. <laughs> but I remember going, ooh, your hand's cold, and then, like, kind of putting it between my hands. But it wasn't me being like, I'm a Mac on him by warming up his hand. Like, that was not the... Ad- there were a lot of missed signals early on. So A many. lot of milkshakes and hand-holding that weren't what they were supposed to be. Right. We were not reading the symbols right. 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 When did the signal make sense? When was it super clear? Well, I'll tell you, and I feel like maybe some of you ladies will understand when I was like, oh, this is nice. So we finally had a set agree, like, let's go to a movie. And I was like, perfect. 
basically, we go to the movie. You know, we're doing like the kind of hand linger, and we hold hands in the oh, movie. Oh, our hands creeping towards yeah, a tender creeping of hands. A tender creep. Yeah, and so we hold hands, and we held hands during the entire movie. Now, as somebody who like never had boyfriends as a teenager. That was just cute. It was like, oh my God. And then even at one point, you had to reach for something in the pocket that would have required you to take your hand away from mine. And instead he like went across pocket. Thank you. Y'all know. I was like, oh, he like me. He reached across pocket. You know what I'm saying? Like, I felt it. And that was literally the moment where I was like, oh, he likes me. Like, and he's a nice guy who isn't trying to make this more than anything. It was something you chose to do and you wanted to do, but you didn't try to make it like, now let's go to my house. You did kiss my ear, though. There was an ear kiss. Andy, put all my business out there. But, <laughs> so I think about this a lot. Like, Naomi, you've talked about having your dark hoe days in the past, <laughs> right? Dark so, like, hoe days, yes. So then how do you not apply those same moves by accident when you meet an actual legitimate person who you might want to marry someday? It's a conscious effort to pull back. <laughs> I mean, even as I said, right, with the hand-holding. Like, that being, as I said, I'm an affectionate person, but yeah, you know, I think, one, it has to do a lot with the settings of your dates, right? Like, if we're sitting there at a theater versus if we're at a bar late at night, you know, making a concerted effort not to meet somebody. Because what I used to do, too, you know, if you don't like, you don't know them yet, so you don't want to put in too much time, I might meet you after a show or something. But then that puts us meeting in the, like, 10 to 11 range, which can very easily creep into like, it's late, you want to come over? You know? And I realize, Depending oh. on the weather, depending on the subway schedule. Exactly. Where, what neighborhood you in, you know? And so I found a big part of it, too, was trying to put it in situations where it was a little bit more... Chased. A little bit more chased, yeah. <laughs> a little bit more 1950s. Oh, my God, trying to live that Phyllis life. That poodle skirt. <laughs> yes. Okay, so you guys are starting to get to know each other. First smooch, first sex. We're starting to work our way up. When is the moment where it was like, oh shit, we have to decide if we're putting work into this? When do you decide to put work into something and how do you know that this is the person who's worth it? I was living in Greenpoint and she was living in Harlem. So that's a long distance relationship. Yeah. For very early on. (laughs) Yeah. So that's already work there to go on the subway for an hour. To get on a G train? Exactly. I've never felt more smug than watching someone run for the G train (laughs) when I'm walking away from it. (laughs) Well, yeah, that was definitely that kind of early basic work, saying, okay, are you worth this time? But then I think it was also six months, a year in. We were both very difficult people (laughs) at the time. And I, yes, there was like a point when... Both like you had been like very tempestuous and I had been very closed off and repressed emotionally. Yeah. Where we thought about that and we're like, we're still, we're going to like try to push through this. Push through our like, what's the word? I'm our issues. Say, our, our, yeah, push through I'll... our own issues <laughs> right. to make this a real couple. But that's where it always falls apart for most people. Right. So there must have been something where you're like, this is different. People describe that as a spark. Right? Or like, I just knew. It's interesting because I feel like I've always associated spark with actually being attracted to someone physically. Any but relationship. you are attracted. Oh my God, so very, so very, so very. Just so we're clear. Just so very, so very. So I think the difference between the relationships I've had and just like the hookup or the hot mess, the relationship was the person who was a little bit easier to interact with, who was comfortable. The person who was, you know, you were not a, I'm going to wait three days to text you back person. You yeah. were not a, Maybe, and then radio silence kind of person. 
So to interact very early on felt like, okay, we both want to be here. That's the start. If we have that baseline, now the work, which is really the nitty gritty of our personalities, it's worthwhile because at least I know you want to be here. You guys haven't stopped wanting to be there. No, I think the opposite. We talk everything out. But we learn to talk it out. Sure. Because yeah, you were sure. not talking. And oh, no. I like made you talk. Oh, yeah. No, no. I'm from Pennsylvania, which was uh, <laughs> founded by Germans. And so everything's very repressed there. <laughs> I know, but you're Jewish. So I always, I mean. I, I am Jewish from Pennsylvania. That is a, <laughs> that is a different breed. I'm almost 99% sure my parents do not like the fact that I went into comedy. But they have never told me once. <laughs> Which is crazy to me. Oh, totally crazy. My mother that, tells me every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, but yeah. but Your right. mom tells you if, you if she doesn't like your bra, right? <laughs> so how long did you date before you got engaged? It was 2013. Three so years. Three years, yeah. Yeah, it was three years. A little over three years. And but how, I knew yeah. we moved in together. Yeah. And, um, about two and a half years in, something I brought like him that? to Harlem, just so you know. <laughs> I was not going to Greenpoint anymore. <laughs> and we... we Got along very well. So I'm like, oh, okay, we could do this forever. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The living that together. Was really, yeah, that, that was the real test. And I will say, yeah, I feel like for me, I was more nervous about living together. I mean, we went and looked at uh, rings. You told me the kind of, of, uh, of ring, <laughs> species of ring you like. <laughs> but I also did not put any pressure because right. I was like, right, he's a comedian, so let me not get too attached to any particular species. So one of my best friends is about to propose to his girlfriend. And he confided in me that he's not sure if he believes in marriage or not. Whew. How would you convince someone to care about marriage? I think I would say maybe think less about the trappings of the institution and think about what you want with that person. Is it that the person, your friend, doesn't like the traditional... Because we don't like the traditional idea of marriage, like about the wedding itself. Like we, don't, like we think of those as like proms. And we don't want a prom for a wedding. The stereotype of like the honeymooners or something like that. Sure, good the reference. Honeymooners, I yes. love it. Reference to a 1950s. Sitcom. These are young yeah. people. Mm. <laughs> honeymooners? Yes, no. Yes. Great. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So maybe your friend is thinking of that instead of thinking of, you know, look, guys, not to get too existentialist, but you can choose anything you want. You can turn marriage into anything you want. It's open. You just have to be creative with it. What you are agreeing to is taking that journey with that person. So that person, you're like, I don't want to leave you anytime soon. And that's the right choice. You so know? how are you guys designing your marriage? Real loose. <laughs> <laughs> no, by that, I, and I say that to say you take turns. You know, there are times where I'm saying, okay, it's your turn. It's this is why I don't do interviews with couples. I'm just getting so bummed out right now. But Andrea, you can't be bummed about being single, dude. Because, though, here's a question. Do you have a type? And how often do you go outside your type? Because I realized that when I think about, when I would think about, there's the type of guy, right, where I was like, this is the person, he's going to be this and this. But this is also different than how that person makes you feel and treats you. Andy and I were friends for a while because Andy's shorter than me. Not by a lot, but it was enough for me as like a lady to be like, well, I don't know, because there's a whole that stigma where you're like, well, you can't be taller than him. Oh, my God. People are going to think you're a monster. Like, you know, like a stupid like, idea, you know, and like letting something like that. But I know plenty of women, plenty of people who are like, oh, he's short or oh, he's this thing and will literally write a guy off. They're called deal breakers. Am I right, ladies? <laughs> but 
though, if when you're with the person, they treat you well and they're fun and they're, it's like, r- go with it anyway, you know? Actually, there was like the longest time that I kept dating other podcasters. And oh. that's not a good idea. That's a small pool. <laughs> right? What's Ira Glass like <laughs> on a date? Single now. <laughs> I, I think, here's the thing, that we all build this perfect person in our head or what we think is right for us, but that's often, whatever that mental image is, isn't, isn't accurate of what you need. Because I don't think we often know what we need in life from other people, even from friends. I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's so much more visceral. And then when you like turn everything into data points and you start to think of it like this, well, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like Death Cab for Cutie, so I'm not going <laughs> to... I've swiped yeah. left just because he, like, his favorite band in the world is Red right. Hot Chili Peppers. And I'm well, like, no, right. you were right. Yeah. That was, that was <laughs> okay. a good call on that one. But I think we reduce everything to the, this kind of very intellectualized space. I, I, I hate to sound like an old person who's like, oh, there's everyone on the internet these days. But there is something about that visceral, unexplainable stuff that isn't easily, like, put into a profile. This is my last question for you guys. I'm still out there. So are all the green stickers in the audience. Why are we doing this? Could you, could you share something really sweet about each other, something really refreshing about what it means to be in a relationship, and just remind us why we're putting ourselves through all the swiping, why we're showing up for a, a podcast taping where there might be single people. You reach for an appetizer, your hands touch. There's a little bit of electricity over that turkey slider. You like sliders, too. And that's how it starts. Give us a little something. You know, we challenge each other to be better people, I think. I definitely am a better person since meeting Naomi and being in a relationship with her. Like a very narcissistic, selfish basis alone. (laughs) I'm better than I could be because of this person? Sure. There is this armor we put up and these things we do from being in the office and giving a tight lip smile and saying, good, you, when we don't mean it, you know, to like being on the train, like the hustle of just, we, we have to present for people all the time. And it's very calming and gratifying and, you know, comforting to when you find a person that you don't have to present for anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what we're doing. We're looking for that person that we can like be really loose for honey, stop sucking in my stomach three years ago. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and just being like, oh, I'm okay, I'm enough. That's huge. And that's, that's why you out there, girl, that's why you swipe him. Thank you for that reminder. Naomi Paragon, Andy Beckerman. <laughs> Subscribe to the Beginnings Podcast and Snap Impressions Podcast. Follow Blacktress on Twitter. Our show is produced by me with Andrew Chug and Lindsay Cradwell. Our editor is Hillary Frank. Event production by Kirsten Holtz. Our technical direction was by Jason Gambrell. We have original artwork, all of the mirrors in the store by Liana Fink. Our logo was designed by Teddy Blanks. Thanks to everyone at Panoply, including Amanda Hill, Stephanie Pollock, and Evan Viola. We had extra help today from Mary Wilson and Verilyn Williams. Thank you to CAA, the Creative Artist Agency. This event was a perfect fit for our show, made possible by Bonobos. Thank you to our guide shop manager, Cody Lurie Perrette, for his styling help. Visit bonobos.com slash YY when you get home or finish listening to this episode for 20% off your first purchase. That's bonobos.com slash YY. 
I'm Andres Lenzi. Our team at Panoply is busy packing up everything to fly to Chicago this week. Check out our website for photos from the show, including my rendering of Andrea Erectus's Tinder profile. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Bonobos, for making this episode possible. You know what? They even set Andy up with a new suit to wear on his honeymoon. And this is what Naomi sounded like when she saw him coming out of the dressing room. A new man. Should he cut? Come out, Andy. Show me. Oh, my God. Reveal. Donk a shame. I'm into this. Oh, and remember the guy from the Tinder sequence who Cassie messaged? We offered him a free Bonobos t-shirt. He did reply after the show ended. Asked for a medium.